Welcome to Money for the Rest of the Personal Finance Show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 150. It's titled, Finding Your Perfect Match. We really weren't planning on buying another house. If you've listened to earlier episodes, you know we moved. We sold our farm last October and moved to a house we were restoring, 1910 bungalow or prairie-style home in Idaho Falls. And if you remember back in April of last year, 2016, we also moved from a college town we were living in out to our farm. We've moved a lot. In fact, we've moved five times in the last four years. But there are only two or three Eichler-style mid-century modern homes in our town. This is a style that's fascinated us because it's given. Aim is to bring the outside in with large windows and open floor plan. And rarely have we seen one for sale in our area. The market for Eichler-style mid-century modern homes in our town is thin. Most of the time, there just isn't one available for sale. A thick market, according to Alvin E. Roth, and he writes about this in his book, Who Gets What and Why? The New Economics of Matchmaking and Market Design, is one in which there are many participants, both buyers and sellers, who want to transact. The market for Eichler-style homes in our areas is almost not, it's just not a commodity market. It's it's a very specific market where a commodity market is one where the price is the primary determinant of whether a transaction takes place and where a buyer can buy from any seller and a seller can sell to any buyer. That's not what the modern home market or the mid-century modern market is like in Idaho Falls. There's just very, very few. And so when we got back from Mexico in early February. We were, weren't looking at houses, but LaPro happened to be on Zillow. And we saw that a particular house in a particular neighborhood had come up for sale. And this was a neighborhood we've known well. We've actually had made an offer on a house several years ago, ended up not going through with it because, frankly, our kids rebelled, <laughs> did not want to move. And we've owned a house that backs up to the park right near this subdivision, just we owned it for, for several years, rented it out, and so it's, it's an area we're very, very familiar with. So the Eichler-style home buying market in my area is a matchmaking market. So it's not a commodity market. It's a matchmaking market in which the buyers select and negotiate to buy a specific house, but then the seller chooses whether they want to sell it to the specific buyer. It's a very relationship-specific transaction. There are other matchmaking markets out there. The job market. If you want a job, it's not enough to want a job and apply for it. They have to choose you back. If you enroll in college or find a spouse, you have to navigate a matching market. It's just not enough to, to want to move forward with the transaction. The other party must choose you among competing candidates. Now, some markets... That, that are now used to be matchmaking markets or matching markets, such as for agricultural products, are now commodity markets. And that's due to standardizations. For example, potatoes here in Idaho are rated number one and number two, with the number one grades being more oval in shape with very few of any defects in terms of knobs or eyes. And so in, in the warehouse, they sort between numbers one and 
And two, and standardization then allows the potato buyer to buy from any seller without having to inspect the individual shipment before purchasing a load of potatoes. So now it's a commodity market as opposed to a matching market. Here's how Roth puts it in his book. Marketplaces can help organize potential transactions so that they can be evaluated fast enough that if a particular deal falls through, other opportunities will still be available. In commodity markets, price does this well since a single offer can be made to the entire market. But in matching markets, each transaction may have to be considered separately. The market for finding a spouse is also a matching market. We don't typically think of it being a market, but it's a great illustration of thick and thin markets. Because if you're looking for a companion, it, it's helpful to be in an area where there's, there's a great selection of people that, that potentially could, could become your spouse. So in 1950, the median marriage age for U.S. men was 24, and for women, it was 20.5. And most of the time, or oftentimes, a couple were high school sweethearts, and then they got married. And today, though, 28 is the median marriage age for men and 26 for women. And so it's moved. It's much later. The reason for that is in 1947, twice as many men as women were, attended college. And so as a result, the, the marriage market within college was pretty thin, whereas back in high school, there was a lot more, uh, there was more of an equal distribution between men and women. Now, by 1980, men and women went to college in equal numbers. And as a result, it was easier to find a spouse in college and the median marriage age lengthened out. Now it's even longer as women have moved more women into the workforce, and there's been dating apps and other uses of technology. It makes it easier to find somebody to, to marry after you have left college. So that, that's an idea, this idea of a thicker market versus a thin market. And again, this house that we found in Idaho Falls, very, very thin market. And so we made an appointment. To, to go look at it that evening. And the pictures on the website weren't even that attractive. So I, I kind of blew it off. I said, yeah, we'll, we'll go. It was for sale by owner, so no realtor involved. And the seller said we could come about 7 p.m. in the evening, right after another potential buyer had finished looking at the house. So we arrived at 7, and a young couple was leaving. And the seller mentioned, sort of in passing, that this was this couple's second time through the house and that they expected that they would make an offer. And I thought, well, that's cool that you're going to sell your house. We're just going to kind of look at this mid-century modern house. We haven't finished restoring the one that we're living in. We don't really need a house right now. We don't really want to move. We're so tired of moving. But we'll come look at the house. Now, what the the seller was doing in letting us know that the the other buyer was interested, they were signaling us. And signaling is critical in matching markets. Because there needs to be a mutual agreement before a transaction can occur. So signaling allows a buyer or seller to convey not only that they're an attractive candidate, but they're willing to enter into a transaction. So signaling helps a buyer avoid the embarrassment of having an offer rejected, while also helping sellers sort through competing offers to determine who is really interested. An example of that 
is in college, applying for college, right? Now there's, there's something called the common application where a student can apply to, to multiple colleges at, at any one time. So that makes the market thicker because colleges get to see more students. Students can easily apply to more colleges without having to con- repeat the, the application process. When I applied to law school, I remember applying to five different law schools. Every application was separate. But this, this common application also means colleges have a lot more applications to sort through. And that can lead to a congested market. And congestion occurs in matching markets, according to Roth, when it's impossible for participants to identify the most promising alternatives. Think about when you've done, you're, you're, you're hiring a, a new employee and you're just overwhelmed with all the, the responses in terms of resume. It makes it very, very difficult to make, to figure out, you know, who's the promising candidate. And so signaling allows entities to do that. So colleges, for example, by requiring an additional essay or by noting which student candidates take the time to visit the campus, colleges receive signals as to which applicants are really interested in attending their school. I've seen this with my kids. When they've, when they've applied for jobs, it's just not enough anymore to apply for a job. You have to kind of, you have to follow up. You can get a hold of the hiring person. You have to follow up to find out. The signal you're just not any one applicant. You are actually want to work for this company. Technology also makes market thicker. I mentioned Laprell found this house on, on Zillow, and, and we've sold, we've not used a realtor for the last, we didn't use a realtor when we sold the farm. We didn't use a realtor when we sold the house before that. And the reason why is because it's easier for potential candidates to discover a house through through Zillow and other applicants. Back when my mom sold real estate in the late 70s, the, the multiple listing service was a closed entity. You needed a realtor in order to find potential matches. Now you can find, or you could you, you could just drive, we drive around and look for, for sale by owners, but technology makes it way more efficient. But it also, that technology can also make it overwhelming, leading to a congested market. Take books, for example. Now you can search Amazon for many, many books, but if you're like me, you find it's just overwhelming. There's so many choices. And so algorithms, recommendation engines help that. This book by Al, Al Roth on matchmaking markets was recommended to me by Amazon. I hadn't seen it. It, it came out in 2015. I hadn't seen the book. They recommended it to me. I tried it out. I bought it. And I learned a ton. Roth goes on to say, markets differ from central planning because no one but the participants themselves determines who gets what. And markets differ from anything goes laissez-faire because participants enter into the marketplace knowing it has rules. And a great example he got, and I'm not a big boxing fan, although I did watch a boxing match the other day on, on television because... We're staying in Arizona, and we actually have a television and cable, which we don't usually have. So I watched this boxing match, and it's not a free-for-all. There are rules, and those rules don't dictate the outcome, but they make it safe for competitors, and they attract competitors because they know there's rules and balance within the match is held. Buying a house without a realtor is easier now because there's rules to the market. There's disclosures rules in terms of the property. As you work with a title company, there's, there's set 
standardized document. And so it is possible to buy a house without a realtor. So LaPrell and I tour this house. We meet the couple. We're there 45 minutes, and it is an absolutely in mint condition. It's a gem. It It is a fully restored mid-century modern, modern Eckler-style home with an addition in the back and for a, a master bedroom suite. And beautiful, beautiful home. But we're, we're sort of, and, and I'm loving, I really, really like this home. And so suddenly, it's something I want to buy. And, and I'm trying to signal to LaPrell, just kind of get an idea of kind of where she's at. And we're, and we're there 45 minutes. And, and, and it sounds like she's not really, really interested in it. So... So we leave, and, and we're out standing on, in the driveway outside the home, and it and turns out, no, she really, really loved the house also, but didn't think I did. And so here we are outside the home now, and we make a quick decision, because in a, a thin market, there's not a lot of time to, 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 to sit around trying to make a decision, to think about it, because we knew the other couple was going to buy it. And so we, we just walked right back up to the door and we knocked and said, we're interested in buying your house. So they invited us in and we talked about it. And now our job was to convey to the seller why we were the ideal buyer. This is a matching market. This seller has lived at this residence for 16 years and had not planned on moving, but they also found their dream house. Just came, It happened to come on the market. And they were really worried and concerned about whether we would be a a good neighbor, particularly to their 90-year-old next-door neighbor who who the sellers had grown particularly close to. So it it wasn't anything that weren't being discriminatory. They just wanted to make sure that we would be kind to to their neighbors. They also wanted to make sure we would make a fair offer. And and clearly, we were going to give their asking price because it was a very, very fair offer price. But they also want to figure out, well, what's our timing of the transaction? Does that match theirs? And so this is a match-making exercise with signaling on both sides. More than anything, they wanted to make sure if we could be trusted to go through with the transaction. Because the seller, once you sign a purchase contract, you are taking a risk in entering into the agreement because they need the money to to close on their house and, and once they sign the purchase agreement, then the, the, the house is off market and they can no longer court additional buyers. That's often why in, in situations there's a deadline. They're called exploding offers where the, an offer is made, let's say an employment offer or an offer to, to buy something, but there's a deadline where the other party has to make the decision. That's to allow the buyer or the offer to be able to go get their second choice candidate. Before I share whether they accepted our offer or not, let me tell you about this week's sponsors. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tagovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, or hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. 
NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash david. That's netsuite.com slash david, netsuite.com slash david. So they accepted our offer, and we're supposed to close in mid-April next month. One problem. We're not really liquid right now. We have a lot of illiquid investments, and the other investments we have are are in the public securities market, and I don't really want to sell them. And so we weren't, as I mentioned, really looking to buy a house. And much of my liquidity wasn't going to come due in until April because I had done a construction loan for a, a friend of mine for a student housing project. And so that might come in April, but it might not. And so it sent me scrambling into a different matching market, the loan market. And the loan market is not something that I've been really thrilled to participate in the last few years. I don't know what it's been like for you, but I, I talked about this a couple years ago. Yeah, I think it was episode 66 on in terms of commercial real estate where we had basic – I went out to try to get a loan, an equity line to – to finance this, this triplex that we own, and it was a complete disaster. So I thought, well, I'm going to use the technology out there, the matching technology to get a loan. So I went to, to SoFi. They offer personal loans. I thought, well, I'll just get a personal loan, and that will free up some liquidity so I can pay taxes, so I can use so my estimated taxes, and I can use my cash then to help buy the house, and I'll have to sell so many investments. And they had an answer. Within minutes, no, they denied me. They said, Dear J. David, after carefully reviewing your application, we are sorry to advise you that we cannot grant a loan to you at this time. And then they say, call our our phone number and, and find out why. And by the way, we used Experian, and your credit score is 830 out of a range of 350 to 850. I was 20 points from the top of the range, and I got denied. So I actually, I, I was mad. I'm really mad. Because the thing about matching markets, it's no fun to want to choose somebody and they don't choose you. And SoFi didn't choose me. And I just, I junked the email. But I found it this morning. I thought, well, I'm going to call them up and ask them, you know, why, why did I get turned down with that type of credit score? Their answer was, I have limited credit experience. That's what experience says. Limited credit experience and excessive obligations relative to income. So I've had credit for decades and I have no debt. So I don't know. So I called up Experian and they basically just send you your free credit report and I couldn't get any information. But I got turned down. So then I decided, well, I'll try to get an equity line and was able to actually line one of those up within a week with Quicken. Was, was very, very happy, although was very unhappy with the appraisal because the appraisal of our existing home came in $50,000 less than what we actually have in the home. It was a drive-by appraisal. So, but that just, that's the matching market of the loan market where you choose, but they have to choose you back. And more and more, they're depending on algorithms to make 
those choices. And somehow, SoFi didn't like me. I did, I did something that I didn't meet their criteria. Here's another, another quote from Alvin Roth. Al Roth, there's a tension between commodity markets and matching markets. You care who brews your coffee, but your coffee shop sells to all comers. That is, in the market for a cup of coffee, your coffee shop has to be chosen, but you get to choose, and you care whom you choose. So the distinction between perfectly anonymous commodity markets and the relationship-specific matching markets isn't a thick, thick, bright line. Rather, there are markets at different points along the spectrum, from pure commodity to pure matching. And it changes over time. Depending on where you are in the real estate cycle, it could be a buyer's market or a seller's market in terms of is it thick or is it thin? And and how you behave in the face of that type of market is is pretty important because in in a very thin market with a great deal of competition, oftentimes that's why often a realtor might ask you to write a note to uh, to go along with your offer, why you are the most attractive candidate to purchase a house, even if you offer more than their asking price, because it's not enough to to be qualified. You want to be attracted to them. Why should they choose you? Now, one of the things that happens in matching markets is that you know buyers they don't like to have a lot of competitors. And I saw this, the first time I was aware of this, I was probably a teenager, and we were going to do a garage sale. In our garage, we had a a detached garage. We were going to do a garage sale. This was back when garage sales were brand new. They had flea markets, but people just didn't do garage sale. So we did a garage sale, and I was amazed how many people came before the garage sale opened. I think the garage sale was going to open at, at eight or nine. We had people there an hour early, and I didn't know what to do. I mean, just we let them shop. But that's what happened. That's, that's called an unraveling market where people try to, to front run the other candidates. And sometimes this can actually destroy the market. In a, in a perverse market, an example in Roth's books, it's the market for offering a clerkship, the federal appeals judges, they, they want law clerks. And there's been an ongoing competition to, to try to get the best clerk. And so they, they make earlier and earlier offers and, and exploding offers. In other words, you have a deadline to give an example of one guy. He was on a plane. As he got on the plane, he, well, when he got off the plane, he, had, he got a voicemail. He had a voicemail from the, a, a federal appeals clerk offering or a judge offering him the clerkship and then within 30 minutes he got an offer pulling it back because again when there's a, there's a severe a lot of competition once you make an offer then you're out of the market and and you want your second choice and so that's pretty very important that's why they have exploding offers but this unraveling market this idea of moving earlier and earlier in the marriage market the example they gave pretty fascinating example Early betrothals, the fact that fathers will make arranged marriages for their sons and their daughters, even as infants, because it's a thin market for marriage. And the example is the Arunta, the Aboriginal people in Australia. There, the father of an infant boy would arrange marriage with the father of an infant girl, but not for the infant, for the, the infant's future daughter. 
In other words, the father's granddaughter is already at, isn't even born yet. (laughs) The mom of the granddaughter is still an infant, yet they're making arrangement, they're front running. And to some extent, it's an unraveling market. And if it gets too extreme, that's where the parties can come together and restructure the market. We see this in the financial markets. What's high-speed trading? High-speed trading, the idea of putting cables right next to the exchange in order to front-run other competitors. That leads to a thinner and thinner market because liquidity providers that are serving the market, helping with buys and sells, they have a difference between the bid and the ask spread, the buy and the sell price. And if you have these these high-speed traders that are very, very close to the market, these liquidity providers risk getting sniped and where they will sell a security to a high-speed trader. And then in the course of the market, they might have raised the price and they might just buy that same security back from that same trader. And so the the liquidity provider, they they lose money. And so high-speed trading leads to wider and wider spreads between the bid and and or the buy and the sell price in terms of what a liquidity provider offers or an exchange simply because they don't want to get sniped and that hurts retail vest- investors because that means wider spreads. So how do we apply this information in our financial lives? First off, when you're looking at a market potentially entering in a transaction, buying something, Find out, is it a matching market or is it a commodity market? Because if it's a matching market, your behavior is going to be very, very different because oftentimes it'll be ter- determined by more than just price. You're going to have to do a lot more signaling. And, and what are the rules of the market? Is, is there some unraveling behavior? eBay, for example, when I, I buy you know, some stuff on eBay, usually vintage clothes, and the first time I did this many, many years ago when I started using eBay, you, you sit there and you're, and you're making a bid on the auction and, and, and you're down to the last few seconds and you got it because you're the leading bid. And suddenly somebody comes in and, and comes in ahead of you out of nowhere within the last few seconds. And so you learn about Auction Sniper, which is a, a particular service where you can basically preload your offer and never signal to the other competitors what you're willing to pay. And then these bots at the very end of, the, of an auction are always making bidding against each other. And that's basically how eBay now works. So you want to learn, well, what kind of signaling is necessary in, in terms of, of a, if it's a matching market, what kind of signals you, you need to, to share in order to set yourself apart, to show that you're a qualified candidate, but you're also very, very interested. And the example I gave us writing a thank you note for a, a with that maybe or just a note with your offer saying why you're the most qualified or following up as a, a job candidate. Figure out what the rules are and, and make sure that people aren't breaking those rules and leading to an unraveling market. And how is technology transforming the market? One of the areas that has been most transformed that I know of is the travel market. I spent an hour the other day because I was booking a plane ticket to Ohio. And it's so much more complicated because of the tools. I was using ITA software, their matrix software, which they, they were bought by Google. So Google Flights is similar. So I'm using it. And you know, my choice is to drive to Salt Lake and pay $250. I could drive to Boise and pay $340. Or I could fly out of Idaho Falls for $600. 
And so I'm weighing, well, the, the airline in Salt Lake for $250. I know that that price they're quoting doesn't include actually having a seat, an assigned seat. And I've flown that airline, and they're having some definite labor disputes, which often leads to delays. Wipe that out. So then the question is, do I drive to Boise? And, and so what's the cost of gas? Well, I, can I get the right connection so I don't have to do a hotel? And what seat's available? There's even software now, Seat Guru, to figure out which seat is good. Some exit row seats are great. Some exit row seats have very thin cushions. And so it's actually better to be cramped in a non-exit row seat because the, this, your, your bum doesn't hurt so much sitting for a three-hour flight. And so the technology is there, but it can be overwhelming. It can lead to some congestion because it took me an hour to book a simple airfare. And at the end of the day, I, I ended up paying the $600 to fly out of Idaho Falls. And it was the best choice. But using the technology to figure out how to get as much information as you can without becoming it becoming too congested, so you're becoming overwhelmed with that. So that's this week's episode. It's Matching Markets. If you want to get show notes for this episode, you can go to moneyfortherestofus.net, eventually at moneyfortherestofus.com, or sign up for my insider's guides. I'll send you those show notes weekly to you via email with with other valuable content. That's at moneyfortherestofus.net. Or if you're a U.S.-based listener, just text the word insider to the number 44. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I'm not providing investment advice, simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.